is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 165, recorded on Wednesday, May the 28th, 2014. And uh, we are here today mostly to review Fall of the Governor Part 2. Part 2. That's right, Part 2. First, though, um, I do want to say, Jason, that if the zombie apocalypse started today... Yeah. I would be... I'm I'm too tired. Maybe tomorrow. Let's... Okay, tomorrow. If the zombie apocalypse started tomorrow, I would be in no shape to survive longer than a couple of minutes, I think. A couple of minutes. Well, so your your daughters would come down the stairs, and that'd be the end of you because they'd be zombies already. I I assume, and then they would just you know give daddy a great big hug and a kiss and a bite, and, and I that would, would be, that would be it. I would be done. Really, I'm I'm practically immobile. I I hurt myself yesterday. Oh. And uh, I I did go to work, and I still rode my bike to work, but I am in no shape to run away or escape or hide or crouch behind a, a desk or anything like that to escape zombies. Well, hopefully your family doesn't become zombies immediately because you did say that you would be in no shape. First of all, I, I'm sorry that you hurt yourself, and I, I hope you feel better. I'm, I'm not. I'm kind of glossing over that. How did you hurt yourself? <laughs> Trampoline accident. A trampoline—that's you know perfect. Not, so, I'm not—I'm not joking. Trampoline accident. I, I didn't think you were joking. All right. Now, is it a mini tramp or like a full-fledged trampoline? You were trying to do a half cow, a sow cow. That's not a trampoline thing, is it? I don't think that's a trampoline thing. It's a large trampoline, ten by thirteen feet, so a good-sized trampoline. That's good. And uh, apparently, I'm too old to do a number of front flips on a trampoline. A number, like one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, more than one. I did a number. I did probably seven or eight. And no, you don't mean like in a row, like you jump up and then you do seven or eight, you know, front <laughs> tucks and then you land on your feet again. Clearly, you didn't try that. Clearly, I'm not being specific enough here. Uh, no, I, I did not do seven or eight rotations in the air. <laughs> I so you're doing seven or eight in a row. Seven individual flips okay. with some regular bouncing in between. The last one I did, though. Uh, I did not land very well. I landed in kind of a half crouched position, right. so my legs didn't have the the strength needed to sort of stick the landing. So when you come down and your legs are already half bent, basically all that weight of your body coming down just forces your legs down, your knees, your ankles just to bend fully, and yep. it really hurt me. Right. So since I already have a bad knee and a bad ankle on the same leg, that leg is now in bad shape. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, and I hope you're on the good painkillers, uh, not the bad ones. Not on any painkillers. I'm just, you know, not in the greatest uh, shape to run away from zombies. So I was. I thinking- have bad knees and bad ankles, and uh, I would be in bad shape on a good day to uh, to to outrun the zombie apocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, if you can do such a thing. Uh, I'm also aware that my knees and ankles are in such bad shape that uh, you wouldn't get me on a trampoline. Well, and just, I used to love trampolining when I was in high school, but you couldn't get me on one now because just, it, it would hurt, I would hurt myself. Yeah, just straight bouncing is not is not too 
not too bad. I mean, depending on the nature of your injury, I guess. But it's the uh, the sudden change in direction. Like if you <laughs> if like skiing is bad, or you know uh, anything where I would have to change directions quickly, mm-hmm. and on a trampoline. I would expect that I would either over rotate or under rotate, and uh, I would I would be in a position where I would hurt myself like you did. Right. Well, I won't be doing any flips for a few days. Well, probably probably all summer, frankly. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, my wife has banned me from the trampoline for a while, so that's all I'm saying. If the zombie apocalypse started today, I would be more screwed than usual. Yeah, I'm a little tired today, but uh, maybe if it started tomorrow. I might last a, a you know more than a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. It's yeah. good to know. Come and save me if you do. You'll have to carry yeah, me I'll on be, your back. I'll drive right over. All right, good. But if you know if the roads are clogged, I'm not walking that far. That's a long way. Yeah. All right. Uh, can we read a listener email of the week? We can. Okay. This is a long one, so Jason, pay attention, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem. Well, I'm just saying your video stopped, by the way, just in case you wanted to know. But that's okay. Oh, that's weird. Um. It's a long one, and it's in kind of multiple parts, so stop me anytime if you want to comment on something. But it is a prediction that Mike on the internet sent in. Okay. It is a prediction for Season 5. So he starts. He says, Season 5 starts out with Tyrese and Carol outside the walls of Terminus. Carol is doing proper reconnaissance of the town for days. She notices many of the same things that Rick noticed once inside, namely Daryl's poncho and the riot gear, she and Tyrese then discover Rick and the gang are being held captive in the rail car. Somehow, she's able to communicate with Rick in the car, and he tells her about the guns he buried. She gets the guns to Rick, and all hell breaks loose in Terminus. The Terminus people, except maybe one or two, are killed in the fight. Episode 1 ends. So, he's broken down Episode 1. Now, we move on to Episode 2. He says, Episode 2 starts with a flashback of the Terminus people enjoying just another day in their town, harvesting crops, kids playing, etc., when suddenly one of the group falls ill, much like Patrick did back at the prison. Before long, nearly everyone is sick, just like at the prison. They also begin isolating certain groups to keep the disease from spreading. Once everything is over and done with, they honor those that were killed by placing candles and writing their names on the floor of a large room. So there's an explanation for the uh, memorial room that we've seen. Episode 3 is another flashback episode. Now that the population of Terminus has been decimated, they need to repopulate. So they begin broadcasting their message on the radio and putting up Terminus Ahead signs. As groups find their way in, they are put into the train cars to make sure they are not infected with the flu. After a few days in the train cars, they are allowed to enter the town and become Terminus citizens. Flash forward a bit, and we then see the governing body of Terminus deciding if Rick's group has been quarantined long enough. They decide to give them another day, since Rick came a day later than Glenn's group. That's when uh, a window shatters, and someone has a bullet in their forehead as Rick and the gang start their assault. Episode 4 is essentially the few remaining Terminus survivors telling Rick all of this. He then has to decide if they're lying to him to save themselves or if he has become something as horrible as the governor. (laughs) There's four episodes of prediction sort of outlining what's going to happen with Terminus and how everyone gets out. So Terminus wraps up in four episodes? Yes. I I think it'll probably stretch out a little longer than that. I'm thinking two seasons. Well, that's a long time. It is a long time. So are we At least a whole season. I think that... Or... 
yeah, I, I think it'll last the whole season. So we're going to have our characters stuck in a train car for like eight or ten episodes. Well, no, I don't think that that is necessarily the case. I don't think they'll be stuck in the train car, but I think that Terminus will be the backdrop of the entire season. What do you think about this idea that, you know, they're not putting people in train cars uh, to to hold them prisoner, but to quarantine them against this flu that was spreading all over Georgia, apparently? Right. Uh, I think the flu is a past story. I'm not sure that it'll come up again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I like the idea of uh, having them quarantined for, like, shaking things up, not quarantining them because they're, or not holding them in a train car as a staging area for food processing. But as a quarantine, I kind of like that idea, but I don't think that it'll be the same thing that we saw before. I think it might be either imaginary or something else. Like maybe they're quarantining them to see if they turn into zombies, uh, for example. Like have you, uh, you know, just hold them for a little while to make sure that they don't have, nobody has, uh, you know, a little scrape or a bite that will uh, turn them. I suppose that's possible, but the the speed at which people seem to turn, you wouldn't think it would take that long. Someone wouldn't be able to show up at Terminus perfectly healthy and then be a zombie you know, like two days later. But right. But you never know. I mean, they... You know, everyone is assuming that they're putting them in there because they're eating people. Frankly, that's right. the 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 assumption around the internet, and I think most people think that's pretty much a given at this point. But there are definitely other options out there, and I wanted to bring this up because you know Mike throws one out, and the only part about his um, scenario that it took me a little while to warm up to, and we spoke over email a bit about this, was right at the beginning where he says um, Carol finds a way to communicate with Rick and talk to Rick. At first I thought that seemed impossible or at least implausible that she would be able to communicate with him and without being discovered or whatever. But when you think about it, I mean, Rick and and Daryl and Michonne and Carl were able to, you know, watch the Terminus routine for seemingly not very much time and then sort of let themselves in and get all the way into the inside of a building without anyone seeing. So if they could do that, why couldn't Carol do something similar to go and get a message to Rick in the train car or something? So I kind of came around to that idea after a little while. Um, but anyways, I just thought it was an interesting interesting theory, and it's one of those things that uh, presents something else that's not cannibalism, which I like. Right. Do you think both Rick and Carol know Morse code? Because that'd be handy. Well, I don't know. Do police officers know Morse code? No, it's more of a marine thing more nowadays. Of a, it's yeah. like, you know, not not the marines, but more of a uh, you know ship uh, kind of communication. So if you were a merchant sailor or some something you know working on the ocean, you probably might know Morse code. Sure. So more or if people... you were in the late eighteen hundreds and <laughs> you worked for a telegraph company, then you might know Morse code. <laughs> then you might know Morse code or right. early eighteen hundreds. Sorry. Well, I certainly don't know any Morse code, and you probably... Sure you do. You know the SOS one. Well, I... Dot, 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 It's three dots, three dashes, three dots, right? Yeah, SOS. Yeah, yeah I I couldn't have pulled... I, I would have had to think about that, to be honest with you. Well, there you go. So uh, I think in the off chance that the zombie apocalypse is coming uh, either later today or tomorrow, 
that you and I should spend some time uh, this evening after this podcast learning Morse code. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Good idea. Just in case. Start a Morse code podcast. Morse. Morse. Sorry, not, not Morse. Morse code. I know. What was his first name? I don't know. James. Sir, Sir Walter Dashel Morse. <laughs> James Morse. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, all righty. Thank you, Mike, for sending that in. If anyone else has any predictions for season four, uh, send them in. They're, if, yeah. And if nothing else, they're entertaining to read. And uh, I don't know if we'll do a prediction podcast this time around, but, you know, over the course of the summer, if you have some thoughts or predictions, then send them in and we'll just read them as we get them. Right. All righty. Time to move on. The Walking Dead News. We do have a few items in the news today, and we will probably plow through these pretty quick before we get to our review of Fall of the Governor. Um, but there's some stuff we need to talk about here. The first item is that Melissa McBride, Jason, has been nominated for a Critics' Choice Award. Oh, excellent. Last time on the podcast, we talked about how The Walking Dead is basically ignored at the Emmys, other than mm -hmm. sort of the special effects categories, and that AMC has launched a nomination campaign for the show. Well, this isn't the Emmys, but it's the Critics' Choice, and Melissa McBride has been nominated in the Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series category. Nice. Which is which is a first-rate, big-time nomination, I would say. Awesome. It's an awesome nomination. I'm very happy about that. Well, here's who she's up against. Christine Baranski in The Good Wife, Anna Gunn in Breaking Bad, Annette Mahendru in The Americans, uh, Maggie Siff in Sons of Anarchy, and Bellamy Young in Scandal. Okay, I don't know Scandal. I don't think the lady from Sons of Anarchy will win. Um, what were the other ones? Annette Mahendru in The Americans. Don't know that. I've you know I've always I've meant to watch the uh, the first season of that, uh, or you know now there's two seasons, but uh, I haven't gotten around to really watching it, so I don't know who that is. I've I've seen one episode of The Americans and I did enjoy it but didn't have a chance to go back to it. So that's another, that like you is a show I mean to watch. And somebody at work just last week was telling me it's very, very good. So I'm excited to watch that at some point. And what was the last one? You've seen Christine Baranski in The Good Wife. Right. Christine, I'm just trying to figure out which one that is. That's not the, uh, it's not, what's her name, Margolis. She's not, uh, she's the, I have to f see a picture of her. I haven't seen The Good up. Wife myself, so I don't know. But that's another show that I've been told recently is amazing. It's really good. And then the first four seasons, I think, are on Netflix now. So uh, go uh, go check it out. All right. Uh, I just may do that. But of all those, well, the only one I have seen before is uh, Anna Gunn in Breaking Bad uh, because I have only watched a little bit of Sons of Anarchy too. So I don't really have much to comment on the competition here other than Melissa McBride has been so good in the last season of The Walking Dead that, um, you know, I think she's probably got a pretty good chance of taking this award. I think so. I think so. Yeah, okay. I, I see a picture of uh, Christine Baranski now, and I absolutely remember her. And she does a good job. She's really good on The Good Wife, but uh, I think Melissa McBride may, uh, she has a good chance of winning this one. Mm -hmm. I, I really hope so. It'll be, it'll be great. Good to get some actor recognition for the great job they do on the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's see. Have you ever, Jason, wondered how much it costs to run ads during The Walking Dead? 
Not not till this very moment, honestly. <laughs> but but now you you really want to know, don't you? I really want to know. Do you have the answer to this, or is it just a question you're posing? I have the answer. Awesome. So the cost to run ads on the show has increased a fair bit since uh, season three to season four. In season three, it was somewhere between two hundred thousand and two hundred and sixty thousand dollars for an. Uh, an ad package. Now, I can't say I know exactly what a package of ads is. I don't know if that means certain number of ads during one episode or during one season, or if there's a short run of episodes that you buy or something. I don't so really if, know. If you buy the package, it's that amount per ad, or that's the amount of the package itself, which may include more than one ad? I believe that's the amount of the package, which may may include more than one ad. Right, Because the actual article, uh, Variety.com, did a really good article on um, <clears throat> running ads during The Walking Dead, and they get right. into the business of it a little bit. But uh, the increase for season four, a package of ads now costs $326,000 for The Walking Dead. Right. Or at least in that neighborhood. I don't think they have the exact number. But uh, so it's up from, you know, uh, somewhere between 200 and 260 grand to over 300 grand. And yeah, so maybe that's a few ads that you buy over the course of a number of episodes or it's ads within the same episode. I don't know. But in any case, 326000 is apparently a lot of money for an ad package. Well, I'd like to know what that costs, like how many ad packages, how many ads they show on a, an episode and break that down by dollars, mm -hmm. right? And then break that down by eyeballs. You know, how much per eyeball or two eyeballs, let's say, just for the sake of, you know, a whole person, uh, you know, how much it costs per person to watch The Walking Dead, like how much they make. It would be interesting if there's anybody out there that has some better insight into TV advertising and marketing. Or uh, know what uh, AMC is offering as an ad package right. for uh, The Walking Dead. And, you know, it might be one of those nebulous things where, sure, we can release the amount for an ad package, but, you you know, you the packages may completely differ, right? You know, you might have this, you know, a package may include a whole bunch of different stuff, and it's all up to the person buying the package what that includes. Yeah, they could have different deals or levels or whatever. I mean, I believe, according to the Variety article, though, these numbers came from the the marketers, the people buying the ads. Right. So you're right. There could be a, a wide variety, and that's why we have a range of two hundred to two hundred sixty thousand for season three. You know, one one maybe a couple ads in uh, two episodes is one amount, but you get more exposure with two hundred sixty grand. I don't know. Right. Well, um, the reason I ask is I want to know uh, if it's more economical, like whether or not uh, they make more money. Uh, for me watching it on AMC or buying it from iTunes, right? At three forty nine for an HD uh, episode. Yeah. If I spend three forty nine, do you think AMC makes three dollars and forty nine cents, or uh, a reasonable pro percentage of that? Because I'm sure Apple takes a share. Oh, of course. So, the so say Apple takes thirty percent. Uh, you know, then uh, so. You know, AMC might get two fifty. Let's just say they get you know two dollars and fifty cents per person mm -hmm. buying that episode. Do they make two dollars and fifty cents in advertising if I watch it, or do they make more or less? Yeah, that's a really good question. I Apple the the percentage that Apple takes is public knowledge, I believe. At least I know they publish the amount that they take off of 
music sales and app sales from the app store and stuff like that. So I, they probably publish the amount they take off of TV show sales too. Um, and I don't believe anyone gets a different deal with Apple. Everyone pays the same, or sorry, Apple takes the same percentage off of every sale, regardless of their, regardless of is, if they're selling uh, an AMC show or an ABC or a CBS show or right. you know a PBS show or something like that. So um, that that information might be out there, but you're right; it's an interesting question. How does AMC make more money selling through iTunes or you know broadcasting live? With advertising. My suspicion is that they make more off of iTunes per person. It, it does feel like it. Like if the number is around $2.50, that feels like a pretty good return for yeah. one episode of TV yeah. per individual. So. so if I'm paying that amount, I really, really uh, get annoyed when AMC puts ads in front of uh, an iTunes television show i know they they advertise their other shows sometimes right and that and i've seen that on other downloads and it just pisses me off and i actually i raise a concern or uh raise a support request with apple when that happens like i did that with amc and they say well we have no they said that we have no control over the content of what uh the tv show is that's up to amc mm -hmm. so i complained to AMC. I went to the AMC website and complained about it, but I never heard back from them at all. So it just went into the nebulous complaint void of AMC, which makes me, uh, it really annoyed me to tell, me, tell you the truth. You should try other avenues to contact them. You should try tweeting them or, or something like that. Uh, some companies I listen. I know, but you have a Twitter account and you have tweeted over a hundred times if I if I'm correct. Yeah. So, so you think the 30 people that follow me on Twitter will uh, forward that? Thing? No, no, no. You tweet at AMC and you just might get their, you know, social media support team. You never know. Some companies are very active uh, in that way. And, and oh. sometimes it's the only way to get their attention. So I'm just oh, saying. Obviously, I don't know how Twitter works. No, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not too surprised about that. Um, other inf Other interesting information out of this Variety article, though, is that they sort of highlighted the fact that AMC and The Walking Dead don't do too much product placement on the show. Obviously, the Hyundai is there, and that set of Gerber knives was there, right? Yeah. Um, but there's not too much other than that. that well, they that can't we really do Snapple or McDonald's or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, they, don't, they didn't even do, you know, um, well, the Big Stop or Big Spot. Is that, is that a real... I don't think no. that's even a real well, department store. What do I know? I you know, know, they could have made it a Walmart or a Target, but it or was... Or a Woolworths. It's on Woolworths, yeah. A Woolworths would have been awesome because they don't exist anymore, right? There you go. What they did highlight, though, in the article is that AMC is allowing ads that borrow sort of content and themes from the show. So like Hyundai has their their ad for, um, you know, the the zombie survival machine where the right. guy has built a, a Hyundai that, that's good for killing zombies. Or Microsoft did, I think, a Surface ad involving zombies. And there's some other ones too. So that's kind of interesting. And finally, apparently, some marketers have petitioned, and this is, right, this is straight out of the article, some marketers have petitioned for a walk-on role in the drama, but so far AMC has declined. Now... Yeah. In terms of marketing speak, I'm not sure if walk-on role actually means like they want to put a character in the show wearing a McDonald's shirt or something, or if they just want to get their products into the show as placement. I, it it sounds crazy that 
you know, a marketer would be able to buy their way into a character on the show. Right. But it, I bet you it's Snapple. happened. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because Snapple was uh, all over 30 Rock, right? Right. And they, you know, they also, they played with it as well. They made it a joke that they advertised that they were, you know, it was cross-marketing with Snapple. Uh, but I don't think that you could do that in The Walking Dead because it just doesn't make sense in the, uh, the setting. No, it, it doesn't make sense at all. And I, I, I think I like the way that uh, 30 Rock did it. You know, that was a comedy. It's a funny show. They can joke around. They can do whatever they want, and it works. But you're right. It doesn't work in a post-apocalyptic zombie drama. Or, yeah, or a Pepsi. You know, somebody's drinking a Pepsi. <laughs> Which it could happen. I mean, you you come across the big spot, and inside there, there's probably a couple of shelves of, uh, you know, cans of soda. Yeah. And uh, you know, somebody could enjoy themselves a nice warm Pepsi. Yeah. Well, it could happen. You know, it will sustain you for a short time, anyways. If you need something, if you need water. No, it's bad for you if you're thirsty. Don't drink a pop if you're thirsty. What are you talking about? It's so refreshing, a nice cold pop. It is, but there's you know, it, it doesn't do anything to, re- to repl- replenish your... Uh, you'll just be more thirsty afterwards. Okay, but temporarily, if you're dehydrated, it's going to help. Until you're done the Pepsi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. I'm just saying, there is water in there that will absorb into your body. I have my doubts. <laughs> that there's water in Pepsi? Come on. No, there's water in Pepsi, but I don't think, uh, I'm not, I, I think it dehydrates you. The caffeine will, uh, you know, it's a diuretic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The more you drink, the more you pee, and then you pee out water yeah, it, for sure. It's a net loss. Oh, I don't drinking know about of, that. Drinking a pop is a net loss for uh, uh, for being thirsty. I I am going to rely on my complete lack of biological human knowledge and say that if you are dehydrated, your body will know what to do in order to keep some of that water in you. Your body's pretty smart. Ah, yeah, I have my doubts. All right. Not fine. my body, maybe your body. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just mine, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the final item in the news here. And this isn't really a news item, I must admit, but it is that I have noticed something in the last few weeks since uh, filming on season five started. Mm-hmm. And that is that there seems to be a way higher volume of information and spoilers coming out of the sets than ever before. And that's that guy Steve they hired, I bet. <laughs> Who? The guy from the the guy that was hired and then fired? No, I just I assume that, that there's a new guy named Steve oh. and I'm trying to, you know, lay blame. I thought you were uh, talking about Chase Vasser from last No, time. no, that guy, that guy's a, a whole other thing, but I bet you it's uh, it's that new uh that new guy Steve. I'm not sure what he does on set, but uh, he's leaking everything. He... So, you know, look into him. All right. <laughs> look into Steve. Poor Steve, he's going to get fired now. <laughs> <laughs> um well, but it's weird. Like it seems to be there are more people that are actively trying to get pictures and get information and get information out from from the set or the locations. And if you're into that sort of thing, that's fantastic. There's so much information coming out. You can, well, I mean, you can have a pretty solid idea of where people are filming, what the locations are, and make some educated guesses about what's going on. And one of the groups that is doing this is the Spoiling Dead Fans. And they have a website, thespoilingdeadfans.com, or if you can go on Facebook where they put a lot of their information, facebook.com slash spoilingdeadfans. 
And uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there because it seems like it is just a way higher volume than usual. And I don't know if that's because there's just more interest in it, but if you're into spoilers or at least filming information, follow these guys because you will not be disappointed. Or it's that guy, Steve. Or it's that guy, Steve. And and I, I, I mentioned this because a huge, a huge rumor came out today from these guys. I'm not even going to get close to saying what it is, but it, it, it was massive. And uh, go check them out if you are curious. But uh, be warned. It's sure it's only a rumor, but it could be real. So well, I think it's. Uh, I don't know what the rumor is, but I'm pretty sure it's that uh, one of the characters does it does something, or doesn't do something that causes something or something not to happen. That is exactly it. Yeah. How did you know? So, anyways, a lot, a lot of spoilers coming out this year, and uh, the spoiling dead fans and, and other groups too are are uh, all over it this year. So, if that's your thing, you should be excited. All right, that's going to do it for the news this week, Jason. Should we talk about... Yeah, that's it. Just three items. And one of them was barely even news. (laughs) So uh, there you go. I could report on all the spoilers, but, you know, that's not really our style. No, that's that's where if you want the spoilers, go to the Spoiling Dead. That seems like a very uh, uh, inapt name Mm -hmm. for something that uh, you can take a look at if you're into that kind of thing. That's right. Sometimes we do. Like, we talk about the casting and stuff like that, you know, because we're just talking about actors that are coming on to be part of the show, and we sometimes speculate on who they'll play or what their role will be. But, again, it's all presented as speculation, and we don't generally know anything that's going on ever. So, Yeah, and that can be applied to our entire lives in general. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Where are we? What are we doing? (laughs) Don't know anything about anything ever. Nope. Everything is awesome. All right. Let's talk about Fall of the Governor Part 2. All right. I wish I had a bumper for this, but I don't. So, Fall of the Governor, it's the second half of the third book in the original Governor trilogy written by Robert Kirkman and Jay Bonansinga. And we talked about Fall of the Governor Part 1. I don't know, whenever that was, last... uh, Time. Last time, yeah, last fall (laughs) sometime, maybe. And if I remember correctly, it was your favorite of all the Governor novels. It was, yeah. Can you you remind us why you liked it so much? No, I can... uh, (laughs) I remember you saying that you really enjoyed the fight between the Governor and Michonne. I did like that fight. I did like the description of that fight between the Governor and Michonne. I think the the reason I liked it uh, is that... Uh, it was a the governor's point of view of the story that was already told in the comic books. So uh, it was a little more, uh, I, I guess I kind of knew what the overall arcing story was. And so I was able to piece it together when, uh, you know, I knew what was going to happen. So it was, I find it interesting when I know something that's going to happen and I find the story that kind of leads up to that. I, I, find myself enjoying that kind of thing more and more as time goes on. So I think that helped. Uh, and I did, I, I think Jay Bond and Singh is really kind of reaching his stride as far as these novels go. The first couple, the first one in particular had, uh, some writing issues in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the second one was better. And this one was even better. And, uh, we'll get into part two shortly, I guess. Well, continue. What did you think of part two? Does it continue your, uh, like, do you, do you feel the same about part two as you did about part one? 
Okay, so uh, first question I have is uh, is for you is, is are we going to spoil this? Can we just openly talk about whatever, or do I have to uh, you know envelop it in uh, generalities? <laughs> we should have decided this before. Um, it is a story told from the point of view of the governor, but it is the same story that takes place in the comic that we've seen told from the point of view of Rick. The difference is obviously there are some characters in this and it's mostly told from the point of view of Lily who uh, was not or I guess was in the comics but to a lesser degree so there is a fair bit of information about about her in here that maybe we shouldn't spoil necessarily but the basic uh, the basic events you know uh, I think we can reference because they are part of the storyline in the comic book so if you haven't read the comic and you haven't read the books then you might not uh, want to be spoiled here but it has nothing to do with the TV show per se so you don't have to worry about TV show spoilers okay so I did like this better this novel was better but not as good as part one I liked part one more than I liked this uh, particular novel and there's a very uh, glaring reason for it and it is a personal preference uh, but without spoiling anything I can't really get into details I guess but my biggest problem with this novel was a very specific thing that if I continue to talk about I will spoil the shit out of this book okay let's do this then let's let's do some thoughts on the novel and then at the end we'll do sort of a defined spoiler section where we can get into those details. All right. So yes, I liked this novel more than the first two, but not as much as part one. All right. So for me, um, I, I like this one too. And I think I actually liked it a little bit more than part one of fall of the governor. And, um, and it's, it's hard to say why exactly, but some of the things, some of the problems that all of these novels have had still exist in this book. Yeah. And at this point, though, you know, the style and the over-description and all that kind of stuff, you know, I've decided that you either like it or you don't. And it's no different in this book. So, you know, you either take it or leave it. And I've decided... I don't think it's as bad. I don't think the over-description that we saw in the first, specifically the first one, uh, but more the second one. I don't think it was here. There was some issues with it. Like there was a lot of uh, metallic descriptions of the zombies having cadmium eyes, like mm-hmm. for crying out loud. Why would you describe something that's having <laughs> cadmium eyes? Right. But what I, what I'm saying is if you've read all these novels, you know what you're in for. You know that yeah. that's how he writes. And, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And I've gotten used to it. I mean, my benchmark yeah. is that if he uses the phrase "ejaculated blood," <laughs> I'm, I don't like it. I'm that's, but he did not use that phrase in this book or this novel or the last one, so I like that. Was it only used in the first one? I think it was also in the second one. It might have been in the second one too. Yeah, yeah. he used the word, <laughs> the mispronounced word "foyer" in this book so many more times than the other ones though and i know we've mentioned that before and it's a stupid little nitpick but man it drove me crazy he mispronounced uh yeah the you listen to the audio version right yes yeah so did i and he mispronounced valkyrie as well it was valkyrie oh that's right he kept saying valkyrie that's right (laughs) i don't know if that's an actual valid pronunciation of valkyrie but i think foyer is a valid pronunciation of foyer oh it is it is we've had listeners write in and tell us that it's totally a valid pronunciation down especially in the states of course but 
for me, it is foyer. And that's, but it takes place in Atlanta, so you have to give I some know, leeway. I know. I, it's a nitpick. I totally agree with you. But yeah. anyways, I don't want to focus on the little things here too much because we have a tendency to do that sometimes. Um, can we can we talk about the uh, main character in this book, Lily, a little bit? Sure. In the second, or sorry, in the first part of this novel, part one, she... She does some things that are directly sort of counter to the governor. She, at a certain point in that book, realizes that he is a bad guy and she wants to do something about it. And a group of right. characters take some action against him in that book. Right. I found it difficult in this book to reconcile her sort of renewed um, uh, loyalty to him after the events of that book. And I had a bit of trouble with that because she did waver in this one as the story went on, for sure. But there were parts in this book where she was absolutely 100 sort of got his back. Yep. And that bothered me a little bit because it seemed, it seemed like there was no progression of her character from one verse, the first half to the second half, where she was going one direction and then... Now here we are, not that much time has passed and she's kind of come right back around again. So I had a little trouble reconciling sort of what she was doing and what her feelings were. I disagree with you and uh, for two reasons. Uh, one is I kind of bought it because of the events that happened in this book that I, I think there was enough character progression to, to get her there. Um, and... Uh, without getting into too many details, I can't, I can't really expand on that. The other reason is uh, I bought into it because of how much, I'm going to spoil another book now from the 70s, if that's okay, how much I loved uh, the novel 1984 by George Orwell. Mm -hmm. uh, there was, uh, you know, he it started, the novel started off with, and, and I am going to spoil this, that he uh, hated Big Brother. And by the end of the novel, at the very end of it, he loved big brother mm -hmm. and it wasn't a true love it wasn't something he wasn't brought around to it it's because of the mental and emotional trauma that he went through that uh he felt that he loved big brother and i thought that that same kind of thing could be applied to to lily and so i kind of bought into it for that reason except that she she wavers like she's not i mean i and guess that's that specifically is the biggest problem i have with this book yeah. Is that wavering? And uh, when we get to the spoiler section, uh, I'm going to have some strong emotions about that. Right. Yes, she did waver. Right. Um, did you have, I mean, our, you know, the, our known characters in this book, Rick and everybody who we've seen the other side uh, of the story from their perspective, they are painted as absolutely 100% evil, evil people in this book. Yeah. Did you have any trouble you know, dealing with that. No, no, no. Cause that was, uh, that was seen through what the governor was saying and doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, and his view is obviously skewed. So yeah, I, I thought it was all kind of, you know, emotional and, uh, psychological manipulation of the information in order to achieve a goal that he wanted, mm -hmm. which is fine. I thought that was fine. I didn't actually believe that they were evil. I thought the governor was being a shit for, uh, for saying what he was saying. Right. Yeah. It was all it was all twisted versions of the truth, if not outright lies. Sure, that's kind of what he does though, right? But yeah. I think I just have, you know, some 
issues because I know the other side of the story, right? And I'm so familiar with Rick and Michonne and everybody that was at the prison and what happened from their point of view. I find it difficult to put that aside and completely in, immerse myself in this other point of view. And I guess maybe that's my shortcoming more than the book. But that being said, I think the book maybe could have done a little bit more or in some ways done a little less to vilify the, the other characters. Because you know that the governor is this evil guy. You know he's going to have um, a complete opposite perspective on what's going on. And you know that he's, you know, drunk with power. So I don't know if we needed all of that, all of the t stuff he, he sort of did to, to make them look bad or, or tear them down so that he could build up his own people. And I don't know, it's, it, it felt like the book was padded a little bit in that way. You know, there was a lot of that in there and in some ways it was kind of unnecessary and we could have ended up with one book that was, you know, a book and a half of, instead of two, two parts here. I don't know. Right. So I'm not sure what you're complaining about. Are you saying <laughs> that you felt, uh, that the one, the book, the books shouldn't have been split into two. Like I, I get that point. Uh, it's the. Do you actually think the characters were uh, like the Rick and the Rick and the gang were vilified, or do you think, or are you just annoyed that the governor kept uh, manipulating actual events to meet his drunk with power goals? Well, all of those things. I do think it should have been one book, one one book that took maybe fifty percent of what we got in part two and put it into part one and made it one one book. Um, but uh, and I think that. We didn't need so much of the governor just convincing his people that these are that these are bad people, like convincing the citizens of Woodbury that everyone at the prison are bad people. I mean, we know that he's going to think that, and it would be more, to me, it would have been more interesting to simply take most of that out and focus on the events. Because, you know, what the governor does clearly portrays his feelings on everything. We don't need it to be sort of spelled out to us over and over again, which I feel like it was. I think it was necessary in order to uh, to show us, the reader, that uh, these ordinary people uh, could be manipulated to uh, out-and-out attack, mm -hmm. like, you know, personally attack another group of people. In order to, to, to do that, you have to completely dehumanize them. And uh, so this is... I think this is the propaganda that we needed to see in order to buy into the fact that these ordinary people would take up arms against other ordinary people. Right. Well, I can, I can see that. I just think it was too much. I mean, I mean, the governor was unconscious for the first part of this book because of uh, what Michonne did to him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I still felt like there was too much of him sort of convincing the people, you know, what they needed to do. I was fine. Once it got going, once, you know, they got on the road and he started attacking the prison and stuff like that because, uh, you know, there's a, a couple of attacks that take place. That part, you know, that part really worked for me. And um, I think it was, I don't know, action-packed for lack of a better term. And I, enjo <laughs> I enjoyed all that stuff quite a bit. Uh, but, but if they'd sort of moved that up a little bit, Combined it into one book, I think it would have just been tighter, tighter story, and a little bit more, well, 
action-packed and right. uh, we would have had the first novel part one being sort of the lead up to it and the second part of it or maybe the last third being the real the real uh ass kicking sort of attack on the prison section so right um if you don't have anything else let's do let's talk more specifically about spoilers here how about sure all right so if you're worried about spoilers of fall of the governor part two now would be a good time to uh Jump ahead, or uh, after this, it's the end. So you might want to just cut it right here. So thank just you for fail. listening. Just just get out now. Yeah, get out right now. All right. All right. So Lily, what do you want to say about Lily? Okay, so uh, I was trying to figure out. Like I know Lily got pregnant, and that was a you know was a big deal. But then she had a miscarriage. Yes, she miscarried, and I was wondering about that. Like, why the hell? bother having her get pregnant and then miscarry. I'll tell you so, why. Well, I know why now. Okay. <laughs> but uh so I was wondering uh throughout the novel until it occurred to me, uh, you know, about halfway through the novel when they were talking about the miscarriage, oh, she's gonna kill Lori and Judith. Right? It it just it I found I knew that sorry for the noise. Uh I found out that, that was I figured out that, that was going to happen. Well, that's happened right. in the comic book. No, so. I know it happened in the comic book, but uh, we didn't have uh, the shooter in the comic book. Yes, we right? did. Well, well I'm who, pretty. Who I'm shot? Lily did in the comic book. Okay, she well, she she kills the governor and says that you made me kill a baby, and so now I'm going to kill you. Uh, okay, so that's that's the thing. Uh, I hadn't reread. The, I'd specifically stayed away from the comic, rereading the comic book. Uh, until after reading or listening to this novel. Right. So I knew she was going to, like when I figured it out, I thought I was a genius, so obviously not. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I figured out that she was going to kill Lily. Right. And uh, no, she was going, Lily was going to kill Lori. Um, Lori and Judith. So, and I wanted it, I really wanted it to be a hateful thing. I wanted her to see the, uh, you know, a mom and baby and be so angry that she wanted to kill them and then have remorse afterwards. But, uh, and it turned out that it was an accident. Like it wasn't, she didn't mean to kill the baby. She only meant to shoot the mom or the, the lady. Right. Didn't, not knowing that there was a baby. And I felt so let down by that because I wanted it. I wanted her to be, uh, you know, completely bought into the governor's bullshit and to, follow, you know, they actually said that she would follow him into hell mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I wanted that. And I wanted that hate to be there and for her to use that hate to uh, to murder a baby. Use your hate and join the dark side. Yeah, but I, I'm i so let down by that. Right. I, I can get that. And that was, I'm starting to doubt myself now that now that I said that, you know, Lily kills uh, them in the comic and then she's so distraught by it, she kills the governor. I'm pretty sure that happens in the comic. And all through reading this book, that was my understanding anyways. And I'm thinking they've, they made Lily pregnant. They have to, they have to give her a connection with a baby, and then I, as soon as she was pregnant, I knew she was going to lose that baby for some reason, because that would be traumatic for her, and uh, and then and then yeah, the whole time I was sort of remembering and leading towards her murdering Lori and Judith. Um, but you're right. I totally agree with you that it would have been just amazing to find out from her side or from this side of the story that she was absolutely totally on board and and actually took those actions you know with the full intention and knowing what she was doing yeah 
but it didn't really play out that way. So in the in the in that case, there's no reason to have her get pregnant and miscarry because uh, shooting a baby is traumatic, tra- traumatic, regardless of whether or not you're in the middle of a miscarriage. So I don't think that that was necessary in any way, shape, or form. She could have been, you know, pregnant. You know, leave her pregnant to have uh, and then shoot a baby. That's pretty traumatic. Like, why the miscarriage? Uh, yeah, but I, well, you know, you're right. Killing a baby is definitely traumatic, but I think she, having that connection with her own baby and then realizing that she killed somebody else amps it up that much more. Yeah. Some, somebody else's baby, I mean. That, that's fine if you're pregnant. Like, what? Well, in a way, I just, I didn't think that the miscarriage was necessary. Okay. Unless there was, it was, uh, unless that caused the hate. Why does she get to have a baby and I don't? Right. I'm going to shoot it. You know, so that's what I, that's what I thought that this was going to happen. And that would have been, uh, extreme, mm-hmm. you know, to willfully, uh, with, you know, pure hate, shoot a mom and baby. Yeah. You know, that would, I think they, they, yeah, I felt a little cheated. They missed an opportunity there to kill a baby. They, they missed an opportunity and it, you know, it kind of, you know, now that I look back on it, it makes me feel kind of evil. But it's only a you know a novel and a comic book. You know what? I, I really wouldn't think that you know shooting an actual baby would be a good thing. Uh, no, you wouldn't think so. They they didn't miss an opportunity to kill a baby. They missed an opportunity to do something really interesting with a character. Right. And The Walking Dead has had plenty of interesting characters over the years, but uh, Lily, this would have been one of the 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 coolest probably. And that's why I wanted wanted to buy into the fact that she was now on board with the governor. It's because of that hate that she had. She hated these people. She hated the fact that they existed. Yeah. She wanted them all to die. And that hate, I was like, yeah. She Because of the miscarriage, that all made perfect sense to me. Ramp up the hate, shoot the baby, and then it all falls apart from there. Right. But you I know? just, see, the thing is, she, she waffled back and forth on the governor, and I had a hard time believing that she would be any she would be anywhere close to sort of supporting him um after what happened in the first part right she tried in the first novel i'm gonna spoil that a little bit now her and a few other people tried to stage a coup and kill the governor and take over power and make woodbury a better place it didn't work out she was punished he sentenced her to working in the like the zombie chop shop, chopping up zombie bodies. And that's a pretty bad job. And she's doing that when this book starts. That's her job in Woodbury when this part two starts. But some for some reason, she is now kind of coming around to being on board with the governor. And maybe it's because there's an outside threat and she's rallying around him against this threat instead of pointing her sort of hatred towards the governor. She's pointing it at this outside threat that's the threatening her well-being more than anything else. I think it's because of her anger at the miscarriage, you know, and that's why I thought that I was getting on board with that, that, uh, that this, you know, it's, it's extremely traumatic to, to, you know, to have a, a miscarriage for sure. And so, uh, I think that that, uh, you know, that could turn to hate and that hate, uh, can be directed at an outside force. And because of that hate directed at an outside force, you love the, uh, the thing that, that's working with you to eradicate that outside force. So she got on, you know, it's not because of what anything that the governor did or said, it's because of all these events that uh, basically put the governor on her side, and so she bought into it. Right. Oh, that I that I can see. That I can see. It's everything else. It's not the governor so much, but she's yeah. 
she sees no other option than to sort of focus her energy on these things that are threatening her because of various things that have happened. So that all these things are, you know, it, for me, it all kind of made sense and, uh, I bought into everything and then just at the last minute, it's just like, oh, you ripped out the carpet from under me. (laughs) So now what do I do? (laughs) Well, now what do you do? Um, now what does Lily do? We find out what happens after the assault on the prison a little bit here. Yeah. Which, which is interesting. It wasn't a huge part of the book, but it is kind of fun to know because, uh, to know where things go after the governor is killed and after the prison is destroyed. And, um, I have a feeling that these, this group of characters is going to lead into the next group of Walking Dead books that come out in October. You think that uh, there'll be a tie-in? It won't be something completely new? Well, I kind of would like it to be something completely new, but I have a feeling that this uh, this new set of books is going to star Lily as our main character, at least the first one. I I I have hopes that that won't be the case. I mm. want something new. Yeah, I'm I'm with you too. I would like something brand new, new characters. I was hoping Woodbury would burn to the ground when they showed up again at the end. Woodbury, and then there was parts of it on fire. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, burn that thing to the ground. Everybody scatters to the wind, and we never have to see these people again. But right. no, it never happened. It did not happen. No. So uh, I don't know. I don't know for sure that the new novels will focus on Lily or anybody, but I have a feeling that at least the first one will. And um, who knows after that what's going to happen. Um, one other thing that uh, I can say about the second uh, half of Fall of the Governor is that to me, and I kind of already alluded to this, but there were some scenes in this book that felt a little bit like story padding to extend part two of the novel just long enough so that they could make it a part two. There's a scene early on after Martinez uh, is killed. You remember right. Martinez you know, is sent by the governor to follow them back to the prison and find out where it is and then come back and report. But as we all know, Martinez doesn't survive that. So what we get here in this novel is a group of people sent out to find Martinez and they find him dead and zombified. And there's, you know, a whole chapter or whatever about the people finding Martinez and going to cut off his zombie head and bring it back to the governor. Right. I hated that part. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was so dumb. Like they're, they're overlooking this big clearing full of zombies. Apparently there were hundreds of them down there, yet they, one character in the book decides that it is absolutely necessary to go get Martinez, the zombie, cut his head off and bring it back to prove to the governor that, uh, that that Martinez is dead. And I just felt like, what's the point? Why risk it? Go back, say he's dead you know, and move on. Well, okay, first of all, I agree with you that, uh, you know, the fact that the governor would want proof is the reasoning given to to go down there and get his head. Well, we got to, you know, the governor's going to want proof. And he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be mad if we don't get him proof. Right. So we don't have camera phones because it's a zombie apocalypse, so we have to do the next best thing, cut off his head. And bring it and, back. And bring it back. <laughs> so I agree with you as far as that goes, but, uh, and this is something that you said you didn't like, but uh, the governor manipulating information in order to rile up the uh, these people, he used Martinez's, Martinez's head in order to spread misinformation. It was the start of the campaign. Look what they did. They cut off his head. Mm-hmm. He was fine but and, and human, and they cut off his head. Uh, I forget the reason he gave, but 
he out and out lied to his people about what happened to Martinez. Yeah, yeah. And and I should make sure I'm clear. I don't I didn't absolutely like I don't think there's absolutely no place in this book for the governor manipulating his people. I mean, we do know that's what he does and and that's going to be there for sure, but I felt like there was too much of it. But this kind of thing, you know, having Martinez's head and using that to manipulate his people and generate the hate for everyone at the prison, I'm actually fine with that. You know, right. that's that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, here's the head of somebody you used to all know or you all used to know, and look, they mutilated him, they cut his head off. These people are savages. We have to do something about it. But there needed to be a better way to lead up to those events right. than have Gabe and everybody out and be like, we got to bring back his head because the governor's going to want it, you know? God, even if he'd said... That seems a little weak, yeah. It's a little weak, yeah. But I don't know. Even if, I don't know, the governor has a bunch of fish tanks full of heads, if they'd somehow brought that into it, you know, it right. still might have been weak, but maybe it would have at least been a little better. I'm not sure. But it was it was a scene that didn't need to be there, in my opinion, or it needed to be reworked a fair bit to be a little bit more logical. Or, you know, they could have even brought in Shakespeare. Hey, I knew this guy. That's his head. Remember? No. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, in uh, Hamlet, Hamlet, uh, uh, Alas, Poor Yorick, I Knew Him Well, Horatio. I haven't it, read uh, Hamlet. He found the grave with uh, his old um, jester's bones in it. It's like, look, alas, poor York, I knew this guy. His name, uh, I knew him well, Horatio. I used to ride on his shoulders. I take your word for it because I have not read Hamlet. Well, go and read Hamlet, I've read, man. I've read a numer- number of other Shakespeare's, Macbeth and so on, but um, my, my experience with Hamlet is that uh, one time a few months ago, I made a reservation at a restaurant and I gave yeah. him the name Hamlet. I thought it was funny. <laughs> <clears throat> That that is funny. Yeah, so I walked in. Was it a Chuck E. Cheese? No, it was not. It was a high end fancy steak joint. Uh, nice. And and I walked oh, in. Oh, I said, want a high end fancy steak. Oh, it was good, man. Was we it should... the place on the corner? No, no, no. Uh, it was what's downtown. it called? Wildfire? No, it was none of those, and no one cares. But it was uh, it was fun to walk in and say hi. I've got a reservation for four under Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I I have I have fun giving fake names for reservations. Next time, use Horatio. I will do that, maybe. Because then it could be either Horatio from Hamlet or it could be Horatio Hornblower. That's true. Why don't I just give the name Hornblower? I used to have my grade seven teacher was Mr. Hornblower. Was he a music teacher? No, he was my grade seven teacher. Oh, all right. It's too bad. He should have been a music teacher. Okay, so follow the governor part two. I know we've complained or I have complained a lot about it, but overall I actually like this book. Overall, I liked it too. I didn't like it as much as part one, but uh, I did like it. I think the the biggest problem is uh, I felt that they pulled that punch. Uh, But like you say, if it is in the comic books, they had to. Mm -hmm. Like it makes sense that they pulled that punch if if that kind of thing is in the comic, then uh, in that case, I'll have to reevaluate my entire feelings about this because that would mean that they didn't pull the punch, that they actually made it make sense. Next week on the podcast, everyone, Jason revisits Fall of the Governor Part 2. <laughs> really? No. Uh, I went on Facebook and I asked uh, if anyone had read it and if anyone had any comments. And we got a lot of comments, many in a, in a non-English language. I don't know why. Um, but a couple of people wrote in and said more or less the same thing. Layla said, loved it. It's such a great story and I like seeing it from another point of view. 
And Mike commented and said, I thought they were very well done and I enjoyed the different viewpoints. They filled in a lot of info the comics jumped over. Right. So uh, for, for that reason, you know, I'm, I'm good with it too. I, I do think it's interesting to get another perspective, even though sometimes I have a hard time dealing with the fact that it's a different perspective. But that's my right. problem more than anything. <laughs> and almost everybody else who commented said that they are way behind and they aren't caught up on the series yet. So uh, get it together, people. You should read more. What you should do is start a podcast where you uh, have a deadline to review the book. That's right. And then, then you'll be forced to, uh, to keep up. That's right. That's what I do anyway. <laughs> exactly. I set deadlines for you and say, do it. Because yeah. it won't be very fun if we have to review it and you haven't read it. Well, I think that could, that could work too. Because you told me about a uh, a podcast where they review movies called the Scene Unseen. Oh, it's podcast. long, long gone. But yeah, I used to listen to it. Yeah, that was a good one. Where one there's two people reviewing something, and one of them has seen it, the other one hasn't. Yep. I think that would be fun. Uh, so someday, if I ever not do something that we're going to review on the uh, the podcast, then we're going to go with that format. Sure. But so I haven't. I have one out that I can use at some point in the future that uh, uh, I haven't used yet. And no doubt you will just spring it on me while we're on the air. <laughs> yeah, it'll be after we press record. Yeah, so Jason, what do you think of that video game? What <laughs> video game? No, uh, no, I haven't played it. <laughs> tell All me right. about it, Chris. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I think about what you're telling me about it. All right, sounds good. Not really, but okay. If you have any thoughts, you agree, you disagree on anything we have said here about Follow the Governor or anything else, I think you should uh, send those thoughts and comments in to us. And I'd like now to tell you how you can do that. You can give us a phone call on the Zombline, 1-866-483-9662, or go to our website and click Send Voicemail. That's a good way to do it. You can find us on Twitter. Feel free to tweet us at Talking Dead, or go over to Facebook and, and uh, at facebook.com slash the talking dead. And if you haven't liked our page on Facebook, please do. We're approaching a rather large milestone and I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah, me too. And, uh, if you want to send email, send them to talking at gmail.com. And however you send in your comments, we will do our best to get them on the air. And, uh, cause you know, hearing what people have to say and, and uh, responding is one of the most fun parts of, of doing this whole thing. So mm -hmm. please send those comments in in any way you can. <clears throat> Our next podcast is going to be on Saturday, July, June the 7th, and it is going to be a live call-in show. So if you have something to say, you should join us for that show and call us on Skype and let us know your thoughts. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Those are always fun. Always fun. It's only the third one we've done in five years of doing this uh, this year podcast. And uh, so we don't even do one a year. So it's a big special event. Um, I will post the details on Facebook. I might even set up an event on Facebook just for fun. I don't know. Why not? Uh, but mark it in your calendar. Saturday, June 7th, roughly 5 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I say roughly because that will be the time we're aiming for, but sometimes there are other factors. But Hopefully that's a good time for most people around the world. I know it's, you know, middle of the night on the other side of the planet, but what are you going to do? The planet is round and only one half of the planet can face the sun at any given time. It is true. 
So we um, have to deal with this. This is the kind of crap we have to deal with as uh, human beings living on Earth. The kind of crap we got to deal with. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but 5 p.m. Eastern, I think it's like really early in the morning in Australia. And by really early, I mean you might be up. Like it's like 5, 6, 6 a.m., something like yeah. that. So you might be up, but you also might be the type of person who's still asleep. I'm sorry, it's the best time we can do, but uh, it gets a lot okay. of people available. If that's the case, it's not the 7th, it's the 8th over there. So, But that's that whole international dateline, and they got to deal with that themselves. <laughs> right. I apologize. I don't know how that works. Um, June 7th, 5 p.m. Eastern, live call-in show. You, What you want to do is you want to add the Talking Dead podcast on Skype, and during the show... We will be accepting everyone who adds us, and uh, you can call in and ask a question or make a prediction or a comment or do whatever you want. We'll record for about an hour, maybe 90 minutes, and uh, then it'll be released as a podcast. So it will be really, really fun. And we broadcast video when we do that, too. So if you've always wanted yeah. to know what we look like, you can see us. There it is. Not so we were, uh, there's one uh, slight clarification. Chris, you said you can call us and do whatever you want. Uh, that's fine, except we re reserve the right to hang up on you. Oh, always reserve the right to hang up on someone. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just wanted to clarify. We don't screen the calls, so uh, you're on yeah. the air if you call us, and if you do something dumb, you won't be on the air for long. I'm sorry. There's no video on the, like, you don't have to video call us. No. Uh, and you, your video will not go out uh, on the on the uh, the podcast, but audio will. But uh, we reserved the right to, uh, to cut you off. Yeah, I don't actually release the video as part of the podcast. It only gets released as an audio podcast, but uh, we do get to see each other if you have video while we're actually recording. So, right. And you can watch the whole thing, too. If you don't want to call in, you can just sit there and watch and listen. It's fun. It's fun. And after that, we are organizing a special guest on the show. So we'll hopefully arrange that soon and be able to let you all know. Um, and also we'll be reviewing chapter two and three of season two of Telltale's The Walking Dead coming up uh, later in June as well. So A new deadline for me. A new deadline for, for me too. I still have to play chapter three. So yeah. I still have to play chapter two and chapter three. There you go. So we'll talk about deadlines off the air, and uh, there you go. Okay. All right, everyone, this has been fun. Uh, for The Talking Dead, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you June 7th for our live show. Hasta mañana. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hasta luego.